Psalms 27, verse 1. And I believe as what I've been hearing, and, and it's been troubling what I've been hearing. A mom, while you're turning, a mom came in with another lady, and she was distressed, and she had three kids. And she says, I'm fixing to be evicted. And she said, I've just got my second job, and my husband's in jail. It kind of sounds like one of them country western songs, you know, but it was a reality. Actually, I know who uh, the landlord was, and I called the landlord, and I said, I'm not going to pay it all, but I'll pay some of it, just so you won't kick her out and her kids at Christmas time. And uh, the, son, the dad's going to be in prison for another six months. So she had what I classify as a Christmas fear. That's what I want to talk to you about today. You'd think, how could we possibly equate Christmas with fear? Evidently, you haven't read your Bible. Evidently, you haven't really searched, researched, looked at what was going on around when Jesus was born. But the psalmist made an interesting point in chapter 27, verse 1, when he said, The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord protects me from danger, so why should I tremble? If you know anything about the story of Jesus and the birth of Jesus, you have to know that Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. It threw things in such chaos that people were having to go back to their own homeland and rushing around to get back to Bethlehem where, uh, where they were from, David's lineage. There were no exceptions to the clause Clause, this, this decree was a process that began to roll, roll down from Rome all the way into all the various providences that it controlled. And finally, it reached the Middle East where Joseph took Mary, who was ready to give birth. Now, there are just some things, and sometimes I don't really believe that, that we understand the fear that was going on when Jesus came into the world. Now, some of you know a little bit about this chaotic stuff. Some of you may have just in your mind finally because somebody even acknowledged the fact that you ladies are out there killing yourself trying to buy everything and everybody a gift so and get make sure it's all taken care of. And, and, and finally you can stop in your mind and just kind of take a breath. But you know, it is chaotic and, and for some reason around Christmas time, it's like the enemy wants to make it that way. Just, just in your life. And, and if you're having chaotic stuff going on in your life, you know what I'm talking about. Look, the Father don't send that. Jesus don't send that. The Holy Spirit doesn't send that. But He's aware of it. Remember the political forces in Matthew chapter 2 that were going on when the Bible says that the, the shepherds and the wise men, they were heading and, and Herod got caught word of it in Matthew 2. And what did he do? He pulled them in. Why? Because he had heard that there was a king of the Jews fixing to be born. And so what he did politically, two years and under, under of all the males, what did he have done to them? He had them put to death. So fear was um, um, out among the land when Jesus was born and when he was coming. If, if you remember uh, the, the news when Mary found out she was with child. 
Do you know what the angels and, and what the, the messengers said to her? Don't what? Don't be afraid. When Joseph found out that Mary, his betrothed wife, which means they weren't living together, they might have been dating, but they weren't living together, and and now Mary is with child, and what was he contemplating in his mind? I've got to figure a way how to put away Mary what? Privately. To keep from embarrassing myself, keep from embarrassing her family. And then an angel came to him and said, Don't be afraid. Now, for someone to tell you in a situation that's fearful not to be afraid, understand that Satan was working even to the donkey ride to Bethlehem. Mary was expecting with child when she headed out, and she wasn't long due. She could have very easily lost that child. From the walk and the ride all the way to find out even when they get into Bethlehem, there is no room in the inn. As far as that goes, there wasn't any money to purchase a room. You see, you and I don't live there. We don't face those kind of things, do we? But I'll tell you what you do face. Some of us face marital conflict. Some of us face financial conflict, if you don't now, you will after when you start looking at the credit card bill. And that's how I always judge Christmas by the budget. I don't look at technically, I, I, okay, what do we owe? But isn't it interesting that so much was going on at Christmas time that brought about this fear and this turmoil and this conflict and grief and burden. And it's kind of like, let's hear what the psalmist says about our fear. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my strength. Of, he's the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Timothy makes it well etched into the scripture that fear does not come from God. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. What I don't sense a lot today going on are people that have sound minds. That doesn't mean that you're mentally retarded. It just means you're under stress. Maybe because of the news that you've been told by a doctor, or maybe that your mom and dad, you found out they're not doing well. I've been through every bit of that stress. And watch them waste away to a point as far as in the body and then watch them leave this earth. I've been through all that. I understand that kind of, and many of you do too. I was there. I remember it just like it was yesterday when Patty's mama took her last breath. And I said, Patty, she's gone. And she, you were turned away. And when you came back, you know, it all just came on you. Mama's gone. But you know what? While our parents will leave and we will leave, fear don't leave. It's still there with us. It's still here among us. One day it will be locked up in a prison in hell for a thousand years, thank God, and that this earth will be in a state of tranquility and peace when fear will be removed. Can you think right now? 
Maybe you're in a situation, man, this is reality, that you are, you are so afraid right now. What are you afraid of? Can you think of something that just got you slapped, scared to death? When my wife, first of all, I get kind of wigged out when I go to the airport and fly. I'm either wondering, did I leave my knife at home? I, I, I make sure I take my knife out and take all the coins out. And y'all do that when you get on there. If you go over to the courthouse in here in town now, if you, you know, you got to take your belt off and you got to, you know, well, somehow we pulled, a, I don't know how we pulled a, a ticket on a, a frontier flight, but we, of where it was self-checked. They'd already said they pre-checked us. I thought that was weird. Nobody scanned me. That made me even nervous that people could actually... I didn't have to take my shoes off. And this big... Of course, Al's a big man. Al, this guy made you look like a midget with Homeland Security. Looked me dead in the eye and said, have you checked your pockets? Well, what I had forgot early that morning is I run my bird dogs around the house and I had shotgun shells in my pocket. And guess what I forgot to do with them? Take them out. They were, I had three of them in my, in my pocket. And I, I put my hand there and I wouldn't say in the Pledge of Allegiance, fear come on me like I am going to jail. How did I get this far with those shotgun shells? And how did I forget? Because he looked at me and he said, what would you do? Forget your pocket knife in your pocket. I said, it's worse than that. <laughs> I said, thank God I didn't bring the shotgun with this that, that's in my suitcase. We all know what that fear is like, and, but fear normally is about the unknown, about the unseen, about the untold, about the unheard. But we still experience it, don't we? Job, in chapter 3, Verse 25 through 26 said some interesting things about, he said, what I have always feared has come on me. You know what that means? That means if we're not careful, the fears that we allow ourselves to live under each and every day could possibly come true. What have I dreaded? What I've dreaded for so long has come to me. I have no peace. I have no quietness. I have no rest. Instead, only trouble comes my way. That was the words of Job. What is it, guys? That down deep defines no peace, no tranquility. What is the fear like Job that you fear may come upon you? You see, fear is the wrong use of our imagination. It's anticipating the worst, not the best that could happen. I can tell you when I felt those three shotguns in my shed, I saw my hands in handcuffs. I saw the orange suit. I saw everything. I went to the worst of the worst. Don't we do that? When fear hits us, (laughs) I have all the reason in the world when I see a policeman because of the way I drove when I was young, I get these, I get a sickening feeling in my gut because I was doing things that if they ever pulled me over, I'd have went to jail for. 
Now, I have got a perfect church that I preach to, and you don't understand any of what I'm talking about. But what I'm saying to you is this. You know, I have a tendency that I think I can run a yellow light because that don't mean stop, that means yield. And every time I go under it, my grandkids go, Papa, you just run a red light. I said, no, sir. It was yellow when I went through. He said, when I looked up, it was red. You see, all of us have these things in our past that will rise up within us and kick out, if we're not careful, things that we carry around unknowingly oftentimes known as fear. If you grew grew up in poverty, I've watched this happen in people's lives. They grew up and they didn't have but maybe one pair of blue jeans and, and, and one pair of shoes and, and maybe one shirt. You go into their closet. You think you're just going to find one pair of shoes and one pair of blue jeans and one shirt? Uh-uh. A fear will drive them to where their closet, when you build your house, has to be bigger than the bedroom itself. Why? Because you're driven by the fear of what you didn't have. And it caused you to have this awesome or, or this overwhelming sense of, 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 of insecurity. The word fear in the Bible is mentioned many, many times. And I'm not talking about just the fact that we're to have fear or reverence for the Lord. I'm talking about the subject of fear that is an obsessive fright that sets us in bondage. And, and because we enter into that bondage, we're not allowed to let the freedom and the fullness and victory of Jesus live within us. We walk around with spiritual callousness over our whole body. Well, what does fear do? Well, the first thing I want to share with you is that fear will seize your heart. It will take you over. It will grip you. It will just, it will cause life not to, uh, to be what, what it could be if we would learn to deal with fear. In Mark 4, 440, it says, Jesus asked the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still not have faith in me? The story is about a stormy night where the disciples found themselves in the terrible storm and in the little boat being tossed back by the winds and the waves. The water began filling up the little boat and all of a sudden fear and panic filled all of the disciples' hearts. Can't say that all of us wouldn't in a case like that. And then Jesus asked them, why are you so fearful? Maybe you can recall an event that took place in your life and you felt and remembered the fear and the, and, and the loneliness that you went through when you faced that. Farmer Joe, I've told this story before and it just seems to be an appropriate one to tell again, had been involved in an accident. And in this accident, he and was, was broadsided by a large semi-truck, and the, the injuries were so severe that he decided that he would take the driver to court. Farmer Joe <clears throat> was asked the question while in court by the company's lawyer, did you not say at the scene of the accident that you were fine? Farmer Joe replied, well, i tell you what happened. I had just loaded up my favorite mule, Bessie, into the, and he was interrupted. 
the lawyer suddenly said, look, I didn't ask for details of what took place. I just want to know, answer the question, yes or no, did you not say at the scene of the accident that you were fine? Farmer Joe said, well, I had just got Bessie in the trailer and I was driving down the road. And again, he was interrupted by the lawyer. Finally, the lawyer looked at the judge and said, Judge, I'm trying to establish the fact that at the scene of the accident, this man told the highway patrolman on the scene that he was just fine. And now, several weeks after that accident, he's trying to sue the, the client, and I believe he's a fraud. So please, tell, make him answer the question. By this time, the judge had gotten very interested in Farmer Joe's answer about his favorite mule, Bessie. He looked at him, he said, go ahead and tell your story. Farmer Joe thanked the judge and proceeded, and he said, as I was saying, I just loaded up my favorite mule, Bessie, and it was under the trailer, and we were driving down the highway when this huge semi-truck ran the stop sign and smacked my truck right in the side. I was thrown in one ditch and Bessie was thrown into another and I was hurting real bad and didn't want to move and, and I could hear Bessie moaning and groaning, groaning and I knew that she was in terrible shape by the groans that I heard and shortly that after the accident a highway patrolman came on the scene and he could hear Bessie moaning and groaning so he went over to her and after he looked at her he took out his gun and he shot her right between the eyes. After that he looked after that, the patrolman went across the road and, and he had a gun in his hand and he, and he looked at Farmer Joe and he said, man, your mule's in such bad shape, I had to shoot her. How are you doing? There's just sometimes situations that we get into that we're so knee-deep into and, and, and fear just kind of sneaks up on us. Certain things happen that in life that creates this fear. And, and we've all experienced things that, that have left us a bit fearful in, in what's happening or what the future might hold. And this fear will seize our heart. Second thing I want to share with you is the focus that strengthens our heart. In John chapter 19, this happens to be a story of not just the baby Jesus, but when Jesus grew up. And we know that he lived on this earth with us and identified with us, and then we know that the Bible says ultimately he had to go to the cross. In this same Jesus, we find him in the garden, crying out unto God, begging God. The Bible says, as sweat drops of blood fell from his head, and he prayed, Lord, please let this cup pass by me. Let this cup of suffering, let this, this event pass me by, but Lord... If there is no other way, nonetheless, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And Jesus was crucified. A few days after, Jesus showed up and he appeared to the disciples. And here is the event of it in John uh, chapter 20, verse 19. That evening on the first day of the week, the disciples were meeting behind closed doors. The, the New Living Translation says locked doors. Why do you lock your doors at night? You lock your doors because in your head you think you're safe, right? For about seven months, 
Joe and Josh, or Josh and, and Ashley and the kids stayed with us while their house was being built. And every night, weirdest thing, Bailey would go by every door and make sure they're all locked. Now, I don't do that. I'm probably dumb, but I also know that if you want in a house, a door ain't going to stop you. So it's a false sense of security. But the main reason that I think Bailey was doing that because somewhere somebody told her, probably, I didn't ask her because I didn't want to stir up any more than, than I could probably fix. It's the underlying factor is fear. You see, the disciples were in the upper room and, and Jesus just sort of appears in the room. And he's watching them. They're all scared to death. They had reason to be. They just put their leader to death. And they were looking for them. And Jesus holds out his hands, the Bible says, and says, here, touch and see. It's me. Here, look. Here's the the sword scar on my side. And all of a sudden, Jesus said, peace be with you. As he spoke, he held out his hands, as I said. He showed him his side. And the Bible says, then they were all filled with joy and peace because Jesus was with them. Now, I don't know about you, but if if God is our Father above us and Jesus is our friend beside us and the Holy Spirit is the force within this, then why should we fear anything or anyone? John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in me, the Holy Spirit in me, than he, the enemy that's in the world. But yet, can anyone raise your hand today and say in this past year that you're free from the feelings of fear? This past week, I had the glorious experience again. Lord, y'all have friends of these people. Go tell them. I don't imagine what they think. But I got to sit before the city manager again and get my ears bopped. And then I got to go over and have a, a, a they call it a friendly pre-pre-review of what we're doing. I'll tell you what. I don't know what it was, guys, y'all in the construction world, but when I was young, stuff like that didn't bother me. But now, it'll wake me up at 2 o'clock in the morning and go and begin to talk to me. And I don't like sometimes what the, the voices are saying because as a result of the conversation, and I'm not speaking to them, I'm just listening. Some of you are saying, he's, he's going crazy. He needs to go to Milledgeville. Well, I'm close enough that I could get there overnight, you know, get there quick if, if, if I need to go. But then all of a sudden, this fear just starts swelling up. You ain't going to be able to get this done. This thing ain't going to be paid for when you think it's going to be paid for. And I start listening to all that junk, and I'm going, I woke up this morning here preaching this message to you, and I was being attacked this morning thinking about all this junk that many of you face 
But you face it in different things. Do I face them cutting off my power? Not yet. <laughs> Do I face not being able to see my grandkids get Christmas? No. But I'll tell you what, Jason and I were talking about it today. Since we got in this hope for Christmas deal, you sure find a lot of people who are out there who have been checked out, by the way. They're not just the randomly panicking or wanting to take freeloaders. No, 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 no. They're checked out pretty good. And there's a definite need. You see, as I look at you, maybe I'm wrong, but as I look at you, I don't really see that kind of fear that I often see on a regular basis on this campus. But it's a Christmas fear. It's a fear that started way before Jesus ever came. And the fear is a reality. And if we're not careful, it will neutralize you. It will monopolize you. It will immobilize you to where you are frozen. And you can't move. Especially when it comes to the way that we think. The third thing and final thing that I want to share with you has to do with faith that will settle our hearts. The, The only antidote to fear is faith. There is no other antidote. You and I have to take the fear, focus it in in what God says in the Word, and then allow by faith that to settle us, that that to to calm us down. And, And I promise you, in the morning times, the enemy knows when to attack me because... When I'm asleep, he, he can't. He don't break. He can't even get through. My wife don't even know. You know, sometimes she'll say, "Are you awake?" And if I'm gone, forget it. I'm not going to hear you. I'm way off somewhere, way deep somewhere. Unlike my wife, I don't care what time of the night. If I would say, "You awake? What you need?" I said, "Do you ever sleep?" And women are sometimes like that. But so often. I like what Manly Beasley said. He said, at, uh, he describes faith like this. Acting as if a thing is so. Now, this is going to sound like a, 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 a funny-duddy uh, Christianity, but listen to it. Acting, faith is acting as if things is so when it's not so in order for it to be so. And this is the reason why. Because God said it was so. Now, that to me is the most important thing. <clears throat> I don't know, in Africa, they, make this, they have this animal called impala. Y'all ever heard of it? Well, the, it is said they're one of the most powerful, graceful animals in Africa. It can jump to a height of more than 10 feet, cover a distance more than 30 feet in one jump. In spite of its great ability, an impala can be kept in an enclosure with a solid fence no more than three feet high. Why? Well, impalas will not jump if they can see where their feet will land. Impalas walk by sight, not by faith. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I know this in me, and this is a constant struggle. This is why this old man from Tennessee has to stay in the book, because I have to keep reading the things of what God says that I'm to do when I'm faced with, with unsurmountable odds, it looks like at the moment to me. Because there's nothing to be for God, right? But, but you see, I find out I'm not God. And I find out that there are things that look and appear to me like it's going to eat my lunch. Have you ever said this? 
I can't handle this anymore. Y'all ever said that? I, I, I tell you what, I'm, I'm about up to here. <laughs> Y'all ever said that? Well, remember, the kind of faith that I'm talking about is the kind of faith is not by not sight of what we can see, but insight of what God has said. It's very important. Noah was said, he heard a, a message from God, and God said, Okay, Noah, I want you to what? Build a boat. Well, the faith of that is, okay, God, build a boat. Oh, oh no, Noah, you don't understand. I'm going to give you the plans. I'm going to give you the dimensions. I'm going to tell you where the wood is. I'm going to tell you what kind of wood, and I want you to go and get that wood and bring it back and build it in a place where nobody would ever imagine that a boat should be. That's what he did. I don't guess that it was, it was, it was weird that they saw a boat. It's just where Noah put it. <laughs> I mean, why do you build a boat when there ain't no water around and it ain't rained? And we don't, we don't understand this. But you see, the faith of that was God said do it and Noah what? He did it. He listened. Did everything come out just like it? Yes, it did. Now, was Noah perfect? No. We see that after everything, and that's about the way it is. God does all these wonderful things, and if we're not careful, we'll sit down, and what did Noah go do? He got drunk. So we can't make him into this idle, you know, perfect dude or being. But Noah, listen to God. Does your behavior demonstrate your belief? It's one one thing for us to say, I have faith. And then all of a sudden, a major hurdle comes your way. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm in. And we're all in, I guess. And, and I say, well, I say I have faith now. How am I going to demonstrate it? I just got to believe God said he'd do what he does. And then I look back from the time we started until the time now, and it looks like to me that God is behind what we do. He's not against us. He's for us. He's there to protect us. He's there to provide for us. And, and, and it's so cool. You know, faith is living by our commitments and not by our feelings. Have you ever noticed how we, and we're, we're crazy like this. I am. Did you know that we go to a doctor and the doctor tells that we have a disease we've, we've never heard of. He writes a prescription we can't read for medicine whose name we can't pronounce which we take it to the local drugstore who we don't know, who gives us a bottle of liquid that tastes like poison, and we take it completely and we go back and even get more. Now, to me, that's probably faith. But it may not be the faith in the people we need to have the faith in because our faith should be in God. And if God said he would do something, if God said that he... He would uh, come in on what we're doing or, or that we shouldn't be having fear, but yet we have fear. Who's right? Is it the voices that are bringing the fear up in us or is it the voice God said, that's not coming from me? <laughs> A little boy one day was out in the backyard and he was trying to, to 
to move this big old boulder, and he, he wanted the, to move the rock, so he tried to move it and, and with his hands, and then he got under it with a board, and he tried to move it over with the board, and finally his dad showed up, and, and, and he said, Dad, he said, Son, what are you trying to do? He said, Dad, I'm trying to move this rock. And he said, Well, have you done everything you know to do? He said, Dad, I've done everything I can think of. He said, No, you haven't. His son looked at him funny. He said, What do you mean? He said, Well, you haven't asked me to help you. Now, isn't that the kind of way we are? We'll come to an issue, we'll come to a problem, or we'll get to a situation, and, and we say, Don't worry, God, I got this. I'll take care. Of, I ain't going to bother you, God, today. I got it. Don't worry. When you ain't got nothing, the only thing that we have is the word that he's given us. The only thing that we can count on is the faith and trust that God's going to do what he said he's going to do. A couple was so devastated when both of them lost their jobs. And they, they were left without, they were left with a staggering debt. Y'all know what that's like, right? Maybe you don't. Just as they were coming to terms with this, they looked in the backyard and the septic tank collapsed and the whole backyard sunk. The man was so disgusted about that. He said, I can't afford to go get this. So he grabbed him a shovel. He said, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to dig this myself. And he was just frustrated. He started digging and when he did, he noticed something glistening in the dirt. So he reached down and he picked it up and he started digging around it and he found three coins. Three gold coins. And when he went to have them appraised, they praised for 1.5 million dollars. <laughs> he discovered and his wife that sometimes in tragedy God can bring his glory. Now listen to me. I am not going to stand here and promise you that if your septic tank collapses, that you should run and get a shovel and go digging up that septic tank line. I promise you, you will not like what you find, and it will not probably be three gold coins equaling $1.5 million. But one thing I will say is that God does honor those who honor him. And God is not going to turn his back on you. I don't care how bad that fear gets. And I don't care how bad your health gets. Just remember this. Terry's health was bad and that spooked me. That made me start going to all these doctors I would have never thought going to. But I tell you this. Where he's at is a whole lot better than where we're at. But you know what? We're here for a reason. When Cheryl's son, Colby, had his wreck, they called me. And when I was going to the hospital, I, I, it was right there at the expressway, right where we get on, going out toward 20, toward, I was going toward Atlanta Medical. I saw his Jeep. The rollback was down trying to, struggling, trying to get that thing, and it was turned up over on its end. When the state patrol went to the hospital, they wrote him a ticket 
for no seat belts. It wasn't his fault, the accident, but he didn't have any seat belts. But here's what the patrol, uh, highway patrol told him. Thank God you didn't have your seat belts on. Because he was in a Jeep with no top. And it would have cut Harley and his head slap off on that guardrail. Now, I just said, well, that's a ticket worth paying for. Why did they not die? And yet I've seen other accidents where they seem not as dramatic as that and somebody, their life's taken away. I don't know. But one thing I know, if you know God Almighty and Jesus lives within your heart and if you've accepted him for the reason that he came, a baby in the manger and a son of God who died on the cross and who promises us that he's coming back to get us, that ought to supersede for just a brief time anyway all the fears that you and I do collect like a magnet because of our worrisome type, and I'm speaking to Mike here, our worrisome type personality. God is who he said he is, and he will remain that way, regardless of how we behave. How should we behave? Like we have faith. Like Noah, who wasn't perfect. None of the guys, Abraham, all the way through, they weren't perfect, but they believed God. With every head bowed,